in the front office. <laughs>
time that the devil, too, is allowed to speak his peace. Albeit has not been easy to stop him in times past. Send no money. Just your name and address. And the answer will be mailed to you in a plain brown sealed wrapper. So that even your neighbors do not know that you're on to the total unvarnished truth. And as you pilot your convertible two-cycle lawnmower over the bramble patch of now and time, slicing and cutting and hacking your way through the unpunctured jungle of the Mato Grosso of the imagination. You will be ready. That is as ready as you'll ever be. Which, of course, obviously an editorial isn't saying much. side of the doorknob. I'm just sitting here, you know, reading this piece from London. It says, wives have been noted all over the world by several leading psychiatrists who for some reason or other are driven literally crazy by the sight of their husbands sleeping. I'm not making this up, friends. I don't make the news. I merely report it. So don't holler and say the shepherd's doing a woman's lib thing. I'm just merely reporting the news. I do not make it. And, of course, the king's messenger is often the one who gets his head lopped off. Rarely the king. I mean, you bring bad news and you're going to get shot down for it. Even though it just comes in a plain brown sealed wrapper. They are driven to the brink of total madness. Doctors now recognize a medical condition called sight of sleep phobia. Sight of sleep phobia, the main symptom of which is extreme anxiety, maniacal irritation, which often triggers violence, 
simply by seeing somebody asleep. In one case reported by Dr. John Fleminger, a senior psychiatrist at Guy's Hospital in London, a leading psychiatric institution, the irritation was so severe that the woman attacked her sleeping husband with almost fatal results. Guy's just laying there. And finally it got to her. The woman, 24, was physically healthy, but since childhood had disliked seeing other people sleep. After she married, the dislike turned into a full-blown phobia so that she could not stand the sight of her husband asleep, either in an armchair or in bed. No matter where he slept, it drove her out of her bird. She, she repeatedly awakened him and had several times physically attacked him to keep him awake. Dr. Fleminger reports. Although the husband was easygoing, the wife realized that their marriage would break up unless she controlled her fantastic compulsion. So with his agreement, she became a patient. At the hospital, Fleminger decided to try curing her by exposing her to the maximum amount of irritation. It's an old way of doing it, you know. Her husband agreed to sleep in the hospital, and she was made to watch him sleeping while psychiatrists observed her symptoms. The first time she entered the bedroom and saw him asleep, her pulse rate leaped from the normal 72 a minute to 176. That's almost a record. She panicked, rushed out, and was sick several times. The second time, she managed to watch him for a full minute, but then rushed out, screaming, and cried for over two hours afterward. After encouragement by the doctors, her anxiety gradually decreased until after the 14th, quote, confrontation on consecutive days, she was able to stay in the room uneasily without waking her husband. But she seemed to be always poised on the edge of violence. And there the case rests. An uneasy truce. When I read that scene, now, have you ever observed this in your life? Have you ever seen Have you ever seen this happen? Have you yourself ever been vaguely irritated by seeing somebody knocking off a few? Now, come on, be honest. Don't everybody. Oh, no, not me. Ask any crowd of 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 uh, known axe murderers if they've ever had problems with their temper. They all say, "Oh, not me. Not actually, of course." <laughs> All present company must always be excluded in any in any uh, philosophical discussion that has any depth at all. All present company. You see, this is this is my role in life. I must play a surrogate uh, confessor for everyone, which is really much. There's much. Oh yes, this is why we have dramas. This is why we have plays. This is why we have novels and poems. I'll admit, frankly, for some reason or other. The sight of somebody asleep often makes me want to kick him right there. You know, get up, you bum. <laughs> I don't know why. Not that Shepard is known for his uh, his excessive energies. But uh, this, no, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you. I saw this. The reason I I, I saw this thing, and I uh, the reason I immediately reacted to it is because I had I had the. Uh, by the way, this is what all comics do. Every comic is a surrogate confessor. In one way or another, he he uh, he admits 
you know, he frankly admits that he fumbles. Very few people frankly admit they fumble. Now, it can be in different areas. It can be, say, the sexual fumbler. That's called the uh, Woody Allen complex. You see, he pretends he's constantly fumbling in the world of sex. And all sex fumblers sit out there and say, yeah, man, look at him, oh, poor slob. And, of course, they're talking about themselves. Poor slobs. And uh, which reminds me, this is WOR, New York, of course, the big time. This is it, friend. The Big Apple. My God, this is the center of the world. If not the center of the universe. It all spins around a vortex that is just a little bit north of 14th Street and just a little bit east of 6th Avenue. The entire world spins. Right? Of course, it throws off a lot of effluvia when it does that. Like sometimes you need deep in cigar butts and stuff on 6th Avenue, but that's just part of it. You know, they say they had a lot of street cleaning problems in Babylon, too, the real one. Not to mention Sodom. Get them, Herbert. They are quivering. Oh, good morning, Joe. Welcome to the Red Baron's office. Tell the Red Baron that the Lufthansa German Airlines holiday tour salesman is here. I'm sorry, but the Red Baron flew to Munich last night to try to break our speed record in baggage handling. Well, Munich has better reasons to fly to than that, honey. Uh, you know that the Red Baron's Broadway of Europe holiday starts there? I'll tell you, Brunhilde... My name is not Brunhilde. I'll tell you, honey, anybody with one or two weeks free plus a suitcase ought to sign up for Broadway of Europe. You fly mm-hmm. Lufthansa to Munich mm-hmm. every night you're around the town. Then you swing over to Paris. Mm-hmm. Nightclubs that'll make the Red Baron blush. <laughs> then on to London. Or make it Munich, Vienna, Rome, Munich, Vienna, Moscow, or Munich mm-hmm. and Berlin. The theater, pubs, private clubs, and every night a private room. Every day, sightseeing, shopping discounts. Mm. Only a guy like the Red Baron could think of Broadway of Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about making the Broadway scene with me, huh? That good a salesman you're not, Joe. Oh. Charming person. Uh, every time I hear these commercials that involve this, these little slices of life, you know, these little vignettes of reality, I try to picture it actually happening. You know? You sometimes get the urge to read it. You just know why some guys have got have got calluses on their knuckles from hitting other guys' teeth. Uh, <laughs> you know, after a long, hard day at the office, you need to unwind, right? That's what the copy says here. You know, it sounds like I'm going to give you a pitch for one of these massage parlors, huh? <laughs> Wait till I get on the air. <laughs> you know, with... <laughs> We blow Persian perfume out at you, you know. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen, speaking of that, speaking of uh, Persian perfume, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I've, you know, the great thing about living in New York and being in, in showbiz is you constantly get involved in things which are almost unbelievable a couple of years after you've been through them. But when you're going through them, you don't realize how totally exotic they are. And, uh, because, you know, you live a day-by-day life, and, and especially if uh, you're living in New York at this time, you get to the point where you accept the total improbable action and situation, the totally incongruous, is, is the norm. You don't really realize what you're in until later, you know. I'm sure that a hundred years from now, people are going to say, you know, it, the, the last survivors of our century will still be around, you know, like 85 years from now. 
you know, guys that live to be 96, and people will come around and pluck at their elbows, say, was it really like that then? You know, they'll read fantastic accounts of 20th century America, which will seem unbelievable to the people of the future, I presume. We don't know. Because you, you know one of the great myths in man is that everything's going to straighten out one day. See, this is, this is a, a myth that has persisted. All writers persist in that. As a matter of fact, one of the great examples of that is uh, Stendhal, you know, who wrote The Red and the Black, pretty good writer. Uh, in, one, in the opening of one of his novels, he says to the reader of 1931, he was writing in 1831, see? He says to the reader of 1931, you won't believe how it was, uh, how, how, how crazy things were in these days. He says, but I want to tell it the way it is. And even though you're going to think it's fiction, this is the way it was, you won't believe it. I want to tell you, you read that thing and everything sounds like the absolute epitome of sanity. Because, see, he couldn't understand how it is in our time. No way, friend. <laughs> and I'm going to give you an example, you know. I'm, I'm uh, uh, this is, just suddenly hit me, you know, and I talk about the Persian perfume. Wouldn't it be, you know, wouldn't it be fantastic if, if you could have totally sensual television and radio? I mean, totally sensual. So Shepard says, you know, after a long, hard day at the office, you need to unwind. And suddenly your radio just a puff of of sandalwood, you know, the, uh, a Persian house of ill fame on Saturday night, a puff of that perfume comes drifting out over you, you know. And the <laughs> now, don't put that, you know, that's not that entirely uh, crazy because it is possible, you know, technically. It really is. Total sensuality out of this machine you got there, you know which is composed of a lot of germanium crystals and little things like that. All of these things you know all about, transducers and stuff. Of course, I don't want to explain that to you. That would be just carrying coals to Newcastle, right? I mean, all of you understand the, the you know, diode, germanium, rectifiers and things of that nature, certainly. That's right. Uh, I got a letter from a guy the other day. He said, I heard you mention rectifiers. And uh, he, he, he thought that that was a gangland term for a... For a, a 38 caliber revolver, it rectifies all the problems in your neighborhood. I wrote him back, you know, and I said, no, you're talking about a pacifier. And by the way, speaking of pacifiers, I may bring up a somewhat touchy subject. Now, a lot of you are living out in the boonies. Now, you may be living in the boonies and not know it. I mean, like, say, Darien to New York is the boonies. And now that's a terrible fact. You're going to have to accept that it is, you know. And uh, by the way, you know, you've heard the term boondocks, right? Have you ever seen a patch of boondocks growing? You know, there are actually boondocks. Did you know that this is an actual plant? Look it up. Look up boondock. There's a little umlaut over the O. Look up boondock or boondook, which is the old early Dutch pronunciation of this particular plant, which is rare in certain sections of this country. It grows more in the northern latitudes. And uh, you just look it up and you'll see that you do live there. Uh, the description of Boondock pretty well, damn well describes Somerville. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I, one thing I, I feel is, uh, is part of my duty as, a, as an artist, of course, is to report the unreportable, the kind of stuff that you're just not going to hear on Walter Cronkite. He, he, you know, the real news rarely gets on the news. Events get on the news. That's different. News is something else. For example, it, it, uh, here's an example of news now, true news. Uh, I live down in the village. 
And, of course, the, the village, I've long said, for a long, oh, for a long time, uh, when it starts in the village, you know, when you see something beginning to happen in the village, there's almost a guaranteed fact that within a few years, it will be all over the country. This, this, yeah, I mean it. It's, it's a kind of a curious spawning ground of all kinds of things, both good and bad, you know, nuttinesses and good stuff. Who knows, you know? And just a few years ago, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Just a few years ago, when I was, I was writing for the Village Voice, for example, uh, we were putting it in cars on 7th Avenue, like the Chelsea Shopping News, free, you know, hoping that somebody would read it, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very serious. And it slowly began to spread. Now, if they had published that paper in the Shaker Heights, Ohio, it would never have become a national thing. Why? Because the village ain't Shaker Heights, Ohio. That's really the basic reason. <laughs> I mean, and that's a very important reason. Although it is quite populated by expatriates from Shaker Heights, Ohio. And many of them wandering up and down, you know, with their, you know, you can see their eyeballs that bombed out of their skull. But nevertheless, they carry with them the aura of Shaker Heights, no matter how hard they try. Now, living in the village all this time, you know, I, 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 I can see these things going, and I'm going to report to you the latest thing. This is true news as opposed to events. See, an event can be described in one sentence, like, uh, today they bombed Turkey. All right, that's an event. You can describe it. But news is subtle. It's, it's so subtle that sometimes it is indescribable, and hence it just occurs like a thin, poisonous gas to all of us. And one day, there it is. And after the fact, then somebody writes a book about it and is proclaimed, you know, as a guy with great insight. But nevertheless, walking up and down 10th Street and over on Bleecker, I have seen at least four, maybe as many as six, examples of a new fad that says a great deal about our whole world of America. Most fads do, you know. A fad tells more about the, the time and the people than the, you know, than the, the things they do self-consciously, you know, like a great play. You don't think that a play by Arthur Miller tells much about, you know, our time. Not really, you know. Well, what, 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 is, what is, here's an example, okay? I saw six people, all of them grown up, anywhere from, well, by grown up, I mean, after all, a guy of 18 can vote. He's grown up, right? Let's face it, man. Uh, there, you know, there, uh, there wasn't one under six feet seven. And they're walking around. I mean, both female and male, you know. So they're walking around on 10th Street. And what do you think they've got sticking out of their mouths? I saw six of them all separate. They're not together. You ready for it? Pacifiers. Pacifiers. You better put that down. Uh, there will be... No, there, you put, put it down in, in, your, in your notebook because there will be examinations... That'll come up in the exam. Pacifiers with the ring? You know what a pacifier is, don't you? Well, have you seen these things that babies stick in that trap? These little rubber things they chew on? These little nipple things with the, with the ring? Six of them walking around with the pacifiers. Well, now, there may, be, uh, there may be marijuana fudge in the pacifier. I don't know. But the, <laughs> the facts of the matter are that they're walking around with... Now, this is news, right? It's not an event, it's news. It's a big difference. Can you imagine a, a real newscast that has news on it? <laughs> As opposed to, to a compendium of events, which is exactly what, uh, uh, you know, like for example, uh, late yesterday afternoon it was noted by one reporter 
that a vague fear uh, was creeping over the residents of 14th Street that was not explained. And now the weather. Now that would be news. Have you ever felt vague fears? Of course. Which is understandable. But vague fears come from a many, well, almost a mosaic of events. Not one responsible for the fear, but the totality responsible. For example, a few years ago, and I'm going to ask you if, if any of you out there were involved in this thing. You must have been. About four or five years ago, right here in New York, right down the street, about two blocks away, a big movie theater sent everybody in the media various types of uh, invitations, very elaborate ones. I mean, they came in the you know, alligator skin uh, envelopes with embossed stamps, with ribbons hanging on them, all kinds of stuff. And we were all invited to the preview of a new kind of movie. It was called Smell-O-Vision. Did you ever hear of it? That's right. It... <laughs> It was probably the, the biggest bomb since the one they dropped on Nagasaki. <laughs> it was, and for good reason. But it was called Smell-O-Vision, which was an unfortunate name, actually, when you stop to think about it, and considering the quality of the movie. It, uh, sometimes the, the names people pick for things have, a, have an eerie way of being absolutely truthful. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a sad fact. But uh, nevertheless, it, it, that even goes, runs through cars, you know. But uh, this this place, they had this movie house, see, and they had they had gigantic screens, enormous screen, and it had, uh, you know, the, the movie itself was just like a, any other movie. It was a movie, but there was one big difference: as you sat in the movie house, all the seats had little tubes coming out of armrests, actually little tubes, little like little uh, copper tubes, and there were copper tubes that were on the back of all the seats in front of you. If you're sitting in a seat, you know, you'd look at the seat in front of you, and there are little copper tubes running along. It looked like, you know, like, like they had wired the place for bourbon or something. You know, they were piping it around. You know, could you, and so the movie started. See, there was an opening blast of fanfare. You know, da 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 And then the credits came on. The first gigantic smell-o-vision production. And uh, more credits. And then there was a shot. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a shot of a guy driving a car and he had this open convertible and it was in Spain or someplace and he was with this chick and they were driving through what looked like a, like a, some kind of very lush countryside where there were flowers all over the place. See flowers, you can see flowers. Well, I'm watching the scene. The car's driving. There's 2,000 people there and a very faint aroma began that would sail your, your, your nose. You know, you begin to smell this. Well, it was supposed to smell like flowers. We could only, you can only guess. It was supposed to smell like flowers. But what it actually smelled like was ammonia. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you sat there, well, maybe that's a clue, see. So we went, uh, the, the movie proceeded. And then there was a scene where, where immediately thereafter, they pulled into this elegant courtyard. And now they go into what looks like a Spanish castle. And the girl says, uh, will you have a drink, Senor Pedro? And he says, ah, oh, may we. And uh, she, she goes to the, to the, uh, yeah, she goes to the bar. And the, well, it was a very confused movie. I mean, there were all kinds of languages. Don't, don't come to me. No, I'm telling you the truth. This is why it was a bomb. Oh, it was a terrible movie. Because, you know, they were all involved with smells, and they forgot all about plots or characters or all that stuff, see? Which is what happens whenever there's a technical advance. It's like, uh, you know, we've got more fantastic uh, tweeter amplifiers and more fantastic uh, 
uh, cross circuits and stuff in high fidelity, but they're still making rotten records. You know, so that, uh, in other words, oh, <laughs> in other words uh, the product often lags far behind the technical development. This is a fact. Because guys get all hung on this technical thing, say, hey, man, we're going to have this thing where she pours the bourbon, see? Why she pours bourbon or, or brandy or something that nobody cares? So she says, will you have the drink, Senor Pedro? And he says, may we, my darling. And uh, with that, she opens this bottle of, of brandy, and they, they, they bring it right to the screen, see? A close-up. You see, she pulls the pot, you know, top off, clink, clink, clink with the glasses. Well, now you, you're supposed to smell this, you know, bourbon, obviously, or brandy, whatever it was she's pouring, because the camera made it very obvious, see, that, you know, there's a dollied in, like, about an inch away from it, and you see this stuff, you know, it's going into the glass, and you smell flowers. They're out of sync. You're smelling the flowers that they were driving through, like, ten minutes ago on a screen. Well, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty interesting. Well, well, it went all the way through like that, like the time she cut the bread, and you could smell a horse in the stable. Yeah, they, they actually had that. See, well, you couldn't, it, none of it was really real. I mean, you couldn't really smell a horse in the stable. You just felt like somebody was, uh, well, you wished that uh, others had used dial around you. And then you begin to realize it ain't the, 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 the audience you're smelling. It's actually on the screen, you see. <laughs> and, and so by the end of the, oh, I'd say about the end of the 12th or 15th reel, this thing made anything by Eric von Stroheim seem short. I mean, they went on and on. I was in there maybe six or seven weeks. And uh, by that time, I was getting, uh, developing a real bad headache because every time this thing would squirt these chemicals in my face, you know, where I'd smell the ammonia or the, or the burnt toast or whatever the stuff is, it would make my head cloud up a little bit. And finally, everybody was half-bombed. It was strange because of the chemicals. And they went reading out into the street. And, of course, you, you know how New York smells, right? Especially on a nice, hot August day, huh? I mean, it gets pretty gamey. And uh, yes, and, uh, and especially that area down there on Seventh Avenue, you see the sun is out, and and you could, uh, and, and and there was a great relief. You know, we could smell these fermenting cigar butts, and we could smell all the, you know all the elderly beer cans, and it smelled good after what we had just been through. So <laughs> now that how's that for an exotic thing that I was in? Now how am I going to explain that to the history books? My uh, you know this this is what gives our place the texture of it. Like the other day, I'm walking along 6th Avenue, seeing a guy comes up to me, and uh, he's standing on the corner of 6th and 34th Street. See, I'm walking along in the crowd there. And I don't know, I, I must have a lascivious look in my eye or something. This guy walks up to me, he says, uh, Hey, sir. He says, uh, Hey, you. And I says, Yeah. He says, Here, buddy, here. You want to go here? And I says, Go where? He says, Here, buddy, you want a massage parlor? Here, you. I says, What? What? You know, and, and I, have a, I have a typical YMCA mind, you know. I says, No, no, I'm in good shape. I don't need no. Massage, I feel kind of good. Uh, although my back itches a little bit once in a while. He says, no, real massage here. Uh, Fifty beautiful models here. And he hands me the massage thing, and I take a look at it, you know, and I said, wow, man. You know, and, uh, why me? Why did they pick me out? <laughs> you know, why me, man? <laughs> and, and, and there were some guys who were obviously the type that would go there, walk right by, didn't give them to them. You know, a little, little tough-looking guy with cigars, you know, with warts on her nose, and... Uh, well, I guess, uh, you know, I guess somehow there's a, there's a radar that works. But the idea of this... Uh, well, before we get any further, Herb, please, we've got to, we've got to do this spot. Uh, after a long, hard day at the office, you need to unwind. Well, that's when it says... <laughs> well, I've, I've never thought of unwinding in a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> that's what this spot leads you to believe you can do. But uh, nevertheless, uh, 
Uh, I, I cannot do this copy because it talks about unwinding in a Chinese restaurant. I go to Chinese restaurants for good Chinese food. <laughs> and and uh, there is a good one at uh, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. If you're leaving the office tonight and you'd like to get wontoned up before you have to go out to Darien, well, we'd like to suggest you try the House of Chan. It's real good. And it's there is a Chan, you know. It's uh, what surprised me. The House of Chan, there is really a Mr. Chan. Yeah, well, you know, I always thought that was like, you know, there's places, they always call them the Ming Dynasty, and you go and ask for Mr. Ming, you know. And, uh, <laughs> don't look at me so sad, honey. It'll work out all right. It's okay. But, uh, nevertheless, I, I was down there the other day, seeing. I says, you know, I'm surprised there is a Mr. Chan, you know. I thought that was a fictional name. So, so, yeah. I said, so, so. There was a Mr. Chan, me. I said, Mr. Chan, really? So, all right. I said, well, did you ever know Charlie? Oh, yeah, I'll come here, hell. Oh, my God, they come here all the time. And I said, did you know his number one son? Oh, yeah, okay, Luke, come here, yeah, many times. So if you want to go to a, a, an authentic Chinese restaurant, I would suggest you try the House of Chan. Their food is really spectacular, seriously. Uh, and it's in a real convenient place. They're open seven days a week, and it's a, truly a, a landmark in, in uh, New York City, the House of Chan, 7th and 52nd Street. Incidentally, speaking of the House of Chan, I, at an early age, and uh, I don't think we ever get out of those early ages. I think we always carry that 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 aura of of what we were. You know, there's a theory. No, seriously, I'm not. There's nothing to do with you. You've got to you've got to understand. I'm talking about psychology here, not uh, philosophy or nostalgia. I'm saying to you that there are many psychologists who feel that the seven-year-old child is almost the identical copy in the essentials that he will be all the rest of his life. Now, that goes against the grain of all, all the do-it-yourself, self-help books, you know, that claim that by buying this book, you can learn how to be sexy. You know, 12 minutes, you know. <laughs> You've seen the seven golden keys to sexual happiness and fulfillment. Well, if you're, if, uh, if, if you're a... Uh, if you're a Marty at the age of seven, standing around on the playground, you're going to be a Marty at the age of 77. You ain't going to make it. Uh, and so, it, you know, it, this is a terrible thing to accept. But uh, I, I, I one day read this book, see, and, and it's always given me a, a profound, uh, you know, attitude towards, uh, towards uh, Chinese restaurants. This is now part of the spot. Uh, the, the only thing that my father ever read consistently when I was a kid was Fu Manchu. And uh, did you ever actually read Fu Manchu? Oh, man, you got to read this. I mean, it, it, I'm serious. Uh, anybody who has not, if you see it around in paperback, they brought them out recently in paperback. Pick up some Fu Manchu if you want to read. I mean, th this stuff makes uh, anything you've ever, it looks like greasy kid stuff, anything. I mean, can you imagine a guy being fed into a, well, there was a scene. And I'm, you know, about nine, I'm reading this scene. It says that uh, C. Nayland Smith, clenched his fists in, in anticipation of the horror which smote him as he realized he was about to be fed into a gigantic fetid bed of man-eating fungi. Good God! I mean, the guy's getting eaten up by man-eating fungi, which, of course, Dr. Fu Manchu had grown. He was a famous fungiologist. And uh, yeah, he was. He was a famous. It was his hobby, growing man-eating fungi in the backyard. You know, like other people grow geraniums. 
got this giant fungus. I mean, that is terrible. Well, uh, the, the only reason I bring up Dr. Fu Manchu is I mentioned him to Mr. Chan. And he says, oh, Dr. Fu Manchu, of course, used to come in here when he was studying Columbia, undergraduate. And uh, he, he took his undergraduate work at Columbia. And they used to go down there a lot. Uh, please, uh, uh, before we go any further here, I have a couple of other little ding-dongs here. Uh, let's see, we've got, uh, we've done, uh, oh, yes, yeah, so how about the, hey, I can't believe that we've got a jeweler here on the show. Is it, is it E.T. or what? Live. Uh, well, this is not live. You just get, uh, wait a minute here. It's over here. Yeah. Give him this one here. Let's see. Live. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is Marcus Jewelry here. And uh, they sell Rolex watches. And I've always had a sneaking desire to own a Rolex. They're fantastic watches. Have you ever seen them? You know what the Rolex is. Well, uh, Marcus has probably the biggest collection of Rolex watches in the whole area here. You know, all kinds. Yeah, one of the most famous watches in, in the, really in the world. Did you know that there's a classic watch uh, that has the same kind of classic quality as, as, say, the Model A Ford or, you know, a classic type everybody talks about, or the Piper Cub? Did you ever hear of the Rolex Oyster? The Oyster watch? You never heard of it? That's a classic. And uh, it's used by uh, uh, pilots and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but whenever a guy is seen wearing a Rolex Oyster... That means he's official. He, he really is, Matt. He ain't playing around with watches. That ain't a toy. And if you want to see the, the Rolex Oyster, see it at Marcus. They're jewelers. They're located in Rutherford, Ridgewood, Hackensack, and Westfield, New Jersey. Those are five garden spots of, of uh, the nation. Certainly they are. They even put it on the license plate. My God, Jersey is not to be ever called. Never hides its light under a bushel. I... I was going through Secaucus the other day, and, uh, you know, this is one of the outskirts of the garden, and I was going through Secaucus, you know, and there's all these wrecked cars, and you could smell the refineries, and the streets, you know, the garbage was was being blown down the street by the fetid wind, which was coming over the river there. They got a river in Jersey that's composed entirely of the effluvia of chemical plants. No water in it now. It's uh, The water has been forced out. <laughs> that's the Raritan. You've seen that one? Drop a match in that baby, and this love will blow right up. And uh, and there was a car there, sad, you know, two fenders missing, the front pushed in, somebody had written a four-letter word on the side, and the proud license plate read, The Garden State. I said, that's guts. Got to concede. That's the American spirit, marching forward in spite of the obvious facts. Bum, bum, bum. All right, the way that we've done, Marcus, how about American Motors? Hi, this is Tex Ritter yes, for the yes. New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers. Tex Ritter. And they're coming on strong. Coming on strong. Coming on strong. Coming on strong. Because we've got the quality in the cars you want to buy. You just sing it and pick it, Tex. The protection of AMC. And the price you're glad to pay. Drive the number one value. What America wants, America gets from American Motors. Finer cars and the best fire protection plan going. See the cars that are headed for a second straight record-breaking year. See your New York, New Jersey American Motors dealers soon. And tell them Tech sent you. Man, he sounds tough. 
You know, you ever know, you ever see Tex Ritter movies? Or sometimes you see them Saturday afternoon, they look real, you know, real hazy. They all look like they were filmed underwater, you know. They come out here between the cartoons. Uh, hey, are you thinking about tires? Well, think radio, Dad. They're just beautiful, sexy tires. If you're thinking tires, friend, you've got something wrong with your head. You should be thinking better thoughts than that at this hour. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> if you happen to have a bad head of that type, we'd like to tell you that the General Tire dual steel radial tires, undoubtedly the sexiest tire on the market. Rich and round, smells so great. Visit Lenny Marciante and Bob Malanga, General Tire Service, 472 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, you know, here, how much time do we have? Oh, that's terrible. I was going to tell you a terrible story about the guy that I knew once. I actually saw a tremendous fight develop over over sleeping, over a guy that finally had it up, you know, right up to there. So I can't tell you the story. See what happens? You interrupt me all the time. These damn stories of Fu Manchu. What are you doing out there, you know? That's a, that's a trouble your head. I'm going to be Joe, on Joe Franklin's show if you want to hear something bad. I'm going to be on Joe Franklin's TV show tomorrow at 2 p.m. And at 1.30 a.m.? My God, that's going to be opposite them old Priscilla Lane movies and the Preparation H spots. But uh, nevertheless, Joe Franklin tomorrow at 2 p.m. That's on TV. And at 1.30 a.m. Just like, well, we're going to talk about, you know, the big Carnegie Hall show, which is what I'm going to do the 17th. I'm going to knock out fly balls. I'm the only guy that's going to bring a bat and, and stuff. Who's ever knocked out fly balls in Carnegie Hall? You ever been in there? Fantastic place. I'm going to knock fly balls up into the balcony. So bring your fielders, Mitt. I want to drill some up there. I'm getting real National League balls, you know, foul off a few into the into the gallery. And I've always wanted, you know, bad stuff like that. So, uh, you know, just try to be honest. Oh, well, not really, I suppose. You know, you can't. That, that never pays. Uh... Think clean thoughts. That's that's better. Try that, and get yourself a massage today. It's uh, you know, it keeps the muscles toned and all that, right? I mean, you want to be in good shape, right? Of course. And to save the uh, silver inner seal, you never know you, when you want. You know, you have to send it in for something. Don't don't send back any labels. Keep them, friend. And uh, don't forget now. It's uh, it's going to be all right. Uh, if you will hurt, please. I, I, I know that's a rotten piece of music. I understand. But you see, I, I, I use it for that reason. It reminds me, in, in life, there are very bad things. I've got to keep reminded. I hate to see people getting overconfident. Thank you, Herb. You didn't know this mustache pasted on, did you? <laughs> Yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Big Lester Smith with the news. The news in detail on the hour from the WOR newsroom. Dr. Henry Kissinger returning this evening from an unprecedented four days of secret peace talks with the communists in Paris, told President Nixon all about it tonight. Mr. Nixon met with Kissinger at the White House for a report on what progress, if any, has been made toward a ceasefire. The chief executive and Dr. Kissinger will continue their discussions again tomorrow morning 
at which time other high-ranking government officials will attend. President Nixon had returned to Washington this evening from a campaign swing through Georgia. His reception in Atlanta was so huge and so enthusiastic that his campaign staff was reported jubilant. W.R.'s Clifford Evans, who was with the presidential party, says that the White House exudes confidence tonight that Mr. Nixon will capture a block of southern states in the upcoming election. The president told the crowd in Atlanta, estimated at up to half a million persons, that he is working toward peace in Vietnam, but peace with honor. He also says that his administration has cut the rate of inflation in half. It's made it possible for the United States to have the highest rate of growth of any industrial nation in the world. A 22-year-old man carrying what appeared to be a firebomb was arrested at a McGovern rally at the University of Minnesota. The South Dakota senator did not arrive at the rally until after the young man had been led away. Then McGovern called for silence, and his aides played a tape recording said to be from a young man claiming to be a Vietnam War veteran. On that tape, he recounted what he said were his war experiences. McGovern added, I guess there's nothing much to say after that except this is a young man who spoke the truth. Senator Edmund Muskie, who lost his bid for the Democratic presidential nomination, says that he's looking into the possibility of suing the committee to re-elect President Nixon. Muskie says that he's found evidence that the committee committed espionage and sabotage against his candidacy, and he thinks his civil rights may have been violated. A Gallup poll released tonight says that 58% of the voters feel that President Nixon is better able to handle the Vietnam situation than his Democratic rival, Senator McGovern. Gallup says that in the 18 to 29 years of age bracket, generally regarded as responsible for McGovern getting the Democratic nomination, President Nixon's policies in Vietnam are backed by a margin of 52 to 33 percent. The Democratic mayor of Elizabeth, New Jersey, Tom Dunn, is embroiled in a controversy with a television camera crew. Dunn says that he was invited to address a political forum at a local high school this afternoon, at which other speakers were also in attendance. But Mayor Dunn charges that if he rose to speak, a camera crew from the TV channel broke into the auditorium, charged down the aisle, firing questions at him. Dunn says that a man in the audience...